This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Fionn McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 148 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we continue our adventure with Geraint and his wife Enid and this is the story of Geraint and Enid but first a very big welcome to any new and returning listeners if this is your first episode why don't you go back to the beginning of Welsh mythology with the story of Pulch Prince of David and if you enjoy that why don't you go back to the very beginning nearly 150 episodes and three years ago to see what we've been building on the journey of Fireside thus far if you have not done so already and you're a returning listener please do follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Those are the bases to get in touch if you want to reach out to me for any personal or business reasons or even just to pop your hand up and say you're listening. I always love hearing from each and every one of you. And if you really want to support the podcast, you can do so over at headstuffpodcast.com where you can join Headstuff Plus, where for as little as €5 euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus episodes and material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts in the Headwork, Headstuff Podcast Network. And they are launching more and more each and every month that you'll be able to hear from the insert ads about halfway through each of these episodes. But the story, but there's no hard sell on that. Uh, That is there if you so choose and the support on it is immensely appreciated. So thank you to each and every one of you support over on Head Stuff Plus. The story for this week continues the story from two weeks ago when we had the story of Geraint and the Sparrowhawk, the Knights of the Sparrowhawk, in which Geraint, who is a nephew of King Arthur, he, or a first cousin of King Arthur, he must defend Guinevere's honour by following this knight to this kingdom that is unfamiliar to Geraint, where he fights this great jousting tournament to be declared the Knight of the Sparrowhawk. But inadvertently, Geraint falls in love with a beautiful young maiden named Enid and brings her back to Arthur's court. And this is their adventure together. This is actually... If you look up this story as one of the three Welsh romances, which it is, of the Mabinogion, the stories of Welsh mythology, as we come to our the end of our look at the Mabinogion, you'll see that this is the story, really. The, the Night of the Sparrowhawk is more a backstory element to this. This is the main event. But I really enjoyed, especially getting to explore jousting and the more I adapt and explore these different Welsh tales 
all from this collected source to our contemporary minds and to the modern mindset, which we think of the Mabinogion as this single set of stories. When the more of them adapt, you see the drastically different literary styles in which they are written as as they were written over a period of time where the transition from the oral tradition into the literary tradition became more and more solid. And Geraint is very much a, a strong figure in that. So we'll chat more about this afterwards, but here is the story of Geraint and Enid on Fireside. Geraint and Enid King Arthur was at his court when a messenger arrived from his uncle Erbin. My liege, your uncle Erbin is old and no longer able to defend his kingdom. He asks that his son Geraint return from your court to defend the lands he will soon inherit. Arthur was torn. Geraint was one of his fiercest and most loyal warriors. He had just married the beautiful maiden Enid who meant a great deal to Arthur's wife, Guinevere. The recent marital bliss of Geraint and Enid was infectious throughout the court, and their presence would be greatly missed. But Arthur also realised that Geraint had a duty to his own father and Arthur's own uncle. Geraint was summoned before the king. After being told the news, Geraint said, I would be so sorry to leave your service, my king but I will do whatever you deem to be right. Arthur said, I will miss you, and Guinevere will miss Enid, but your father can no longer defend his lands. A knight must go where duty demands. Guinevere wept when she heard that Enid and Geraint were leaving. It had been Guinevere who had blessed their marriage and had given them the wedding gift of the head of a brilliant white stag. Geraint had earned Enid's hand in marriage by winning a tournament, declaring him the Knight of the Sparrowhawk. In doing so, Geraint had reclaimed the kingdom of Enid's father, Earl Unnel. And since Geraint had jousted in tournaments as often as opportunity allowed, this made Geraint a source of entertainment for the entire kingdom. Both he and his wife would surely be missed. Geraint and Enid were escorted from Arthur's court and made their way to the kingdom of Erben. Geraint found his father significantly older and more frail than he had left him years ago. Geraint bent his knees and pledged himself to Erben. Thank you for returning, my son. Our kingdom will be all the safer for having the knights of the Sparrowhawk to defend it. And how wonderful to meet your beautiful bride! The two of you should ride out and survey all of our lands. Let the people see you and get to know their future rulers. So Geraint and Enid travelled around all of the individual castles and villages and farms of Erben's lands. Geraint jousted and Enid charmed lords and their ladies, and the couple became beloved by the entire kingdom. As much as Geraint and Enid loved their future subjects, This royal tour also made them fall deeper in love with each other. In fact, the more they travelled, the less entertaining they did. Geraint stopped jousting, Enid stopped charming. They would stay in bed and make love to each other all day, 
every day. Soon, the goodwill from the people of the kingdom soured. Geraint was viewed as a weak knight who cared more about his own carnal lust than his duty to his own people. How can he defend our borders if he can't even drag himself out of bed? Locals would say, with pitchforks in hand, no doubt. Word of this reached Erben, and Geraint and Enid were summoned back to the court. It was an awkward situation for Erben to deal with. He found he could not quite speak to his own son about such things, so he chose to confront Enid. I hear you have been distracting my son from his duties to the kingdom, the earl accused the young maiden. Enid was horrified and devastated by this accusation. All she had done was try to be a good companion to Geraint and to fulfill her own duty to Erben's kingdom. That night, as Geraint and Enid lay in bed together, while husband slept, wife lay awake. Enid blamed herself and did not know how to talk to Geraint about this. She loved her husband and their relationship and wanted to fight to protect it. But she knew well they would have no relationship if Geraint's name was damaged beyond repair. I have betrayed my husband and myself, Enid said to herself tearfully. Her tears streamed down her cheek and onto Geraint's chest. Her words and their tears woke the night up. Geraint heard, but misinterpreted what Enid had said. Geraint thought his wife had cheated on him, and that was how she had tarnished his good name. Now it was Geraint who felt horrified and devastated. He did not know what to do. He wanted to talk to Enid, but no one in his family seemed to be effective at communicating with one another. Instead, Geraint woke Enid up at dawn and said gruffly, Get up and put on clothes rough enough for horse riding. We're going on a journey. Where are we going? the groggy Enid asked. It doesn't matter. Don't ask any questions. In fact, don't even speak to me unless I speak to you. I want you to ride ahead of me through the forest and don't turn around and don't open your mouth. Enid was confused. She thought Erben must have confronted Geraint about him shirking responsibilities. So Enid thought this was Geraint's attempt to create distance between them. So Enid got dressed. They went outside and mounted their horses and set off on a quest with no goal. Lonely, Enid rode ahead of Geraint, neither speaking to one another. All Geraint would say was for Enid to ride further and further ahead until he could barely see her. The sight of her pained his chest. All he could do was picture her with another man. Enid came across three knights. She overheard one of them say, Look at that sad and sullen knight back there. We could easily overpower him and take his woman and those horses for ourselves. Enid rode back to Geraint to warn her husband. Geraint was angry, not at the knights, but at his wife. What did I tell you? I told you not to talk unless I spoke to you. 
Geraint rode ahead, fought and easily killed each of the three highwaymen knights. He stacked the bodies of their armor and placed the armor back on top of their respective horses. Taking the three bridles, Geraint took the horses to Enid and said, Now you can carry these horses and armor as punishment for disobeying me. Tearfully and silently, Enid took the bridles and rode on ahead. Enid wanted to keep her word to Geraint to prove her loyalty, but the sight of a young maiden on her own, towing three horses with fresh armor, loosely followed by a depressed-looking knight, proved to be too enticing to murderous woodland knights. Another three, then another five knights plotted to kill Geraint and to take Enid, the horses, and the armor for themselves. Enid said to herself, I would rather die by my husband's hand than by the hand of these monsters. She rode back and told Geraint. Geraint only became angrier each time. Can't you do anything you're told? I don't care about your warnings. I don't care what you have to say. But each time Geraint would also easily kill the assailants and give Enid the spoils to lug through the forest. Soon the poor girl was dragging twelve horses, each with the armoured shell of its former rider. Geraint and Enid came to the neighbouring lands of another earl. They were received at court, and Geraint asked for them to have separate rooms. On opposite sides of the castle, if possible, he added. The earl, picking up on this, went to Enid and said, My dear, this can't be pleasant for you. Riding around this forest, herding horses for a miserable, ungrateful husband? There is nowhere I would rather be than by his side, Enid replied. The earl was undeterred. Marry me instead. I will be a far better and kinder husband to you. If I were to marry you under normal circumstances, uh, there would be nothing to stop me from growing tired of you later on. But if you choose me now over another man, then that will bind us together forever. Enid considered this and said, Come to me tonight and carry me away. In this way, it will be as if it was against my will. I don't even think my husband will object. But if he does, and you defeat him, I will be yours. The Earl agreed to this. But that night, before he could return to her chamber, Enid went to Geraint and told her husband everything. It was hard for Geraint to hear, and further confused him. Enid had proven her loyalty, but it still felt as if it was just because she had been found out. Geraint ignored his wife, put on his armor, and left the room. The Earl had been surprised when Enid had not been in her own room, but he had prepared a host of one hundred knights to fight Geraint for her. These were not nearly so easily fought as the highwaymen in the forest, but somehow, through lance and sword and shield, Geraint defeated all one hundred knights before fighting the earl himself. After knocking him from horseback, the man who tried to steal Geraint's wife begged for mercy. And because the earl was an earl, and Geraint was a knight of King Arthur, 
mercy was granted. Geraint and Enid continued on their way, slowly riding closer and closer together, when suddenly they heard the sound of a woman screaming. Geraint said to Enid, Stay here. I will follow the source of the scream. The scream came from a woman who said her husband had been killed fighting three awful giants, each one bigger and uglier than the last, each carrying a club the size of two men. Geraint told Enid to stay with the widow, while Geraint himself rode off to face the giants. These monsters were three, four, and five times the size of the Knight of the Sparrowhawk. They were his greatest foe yet. Geraint cut the first giant's head off. He stabbed the second giant in the eye with his lance. But before he could strike the third, the giant swung his club and caved in Geraint's breastplate. As the knight lay spluttering blood on the ground, the giant went to finish the job when Geraint stabbed the brute in the stomach and disemboweled him. Geraint stumbled back to Enid, just making it before collapsing into his wife's arms. Enid thought Geraint was dead and let out a howl that soon alerted the knights of yet another earl. As Geraint was laid on a stretcher, the Earl approached Enid. "'I am sorry for your loss, my dear, but I will take you into my custody and you shall be my wife.' Enid said, "'I will never be happy again, for my only love is dead. I have never and would never betray him in life or death, and I will never marry another.' "'You will do as you're commanded,' said the Earl before striking Enid across the jaw. Enid's words and the sound of her pain brought Geraint back from the brink in more ways than one. He was refilled with life and with love. He realised how wrong he had been to doubt his wife and how awfully he had treated her. Geraint rose from the stretcher and cut the Earl's head clean off. The rest of the Earl's men ran in fear from the knight who had risen from the dead. Geraint and Enid returned to the court of Erben. Geraint spent the rest of his life making amends for his doubt and mistreatment of his love. When Erben died, Geraint and Enid inherited the kingdom. They never shirked their responsibilities or their love for one another. They ruled in balance and in happiness for the rest of their lives. To be continued. Folks, as you all know, Fireside is a proud son of the Headstuff Podcast Network, which is Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts and a loving home for the creative and indeed the curious. There are so many other podcasts I could recommend to you on the network, some of which inspired me to approach Headstuff myself. Here's a taste of one you might enjoy. They're only stories. A new anthology drama podcast that celebrates stories and the writers behind those stories. I go like the hounds of hell are after me. Good to know. Premiering on the 17th of October on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
Their Only Stories is produced by Riots Productions in association with the Headstuff Podcast Network and funded by the Arts Council of Ireland. Yes, you should be And that, dear listeners, is the tale of Geraint and Enid, and I hope you enjoyed it. I don't... It's a hard one to know how I feel about this story. This story was a very difficult one to adapt. There was a period where I was adapting it where there was a a crucial section of the story that I had that I had missed and uh, that suddenly changed things quite a bit. I had missed where uh, Godaint misinterprets that that Enid is that he thinks that Enid has slept with another man and that he's cheated on her, she has cheated on him and that's why he's going to treat her in this uh, appalling way and which is also not quite justification for the treatment of her and believe me because the story is much longer and more detailed in the Oxford World Classics and in the Noxus audio versions of it of which I adapted them from and he says some pretty brutal things and he's pretty, pretty rough to Enid in on this journey. And there's something almost unsatisfying about the ending of it where certainly Godrind realises the error of his ways. Also, that's kind of subtext that I've put on it. There isn't as much uh, an acknowledgement that Godrind has been wrong or anything in his treatment of his wife. He just kind of, over time, starts to quietly realise the error of his ways and then at the end they just kind of get back together. So I tried to put a little bit more context into it, particularly from Enid's side, because she is one of the more active females in the Mabinogion because overall uh, women haven't played as as strong a role in the Mabinogion as I certainly would have liked for this podcast because... There's no doubt in in so much of mythology, there is a, a much stronger presence of male agency in these stories, which naturally has carried right through to the 21st century. And one of the things I like so much about Celtic mythology is that it has a huge amount of strong female characters and we're, we're immensely proud of of those women such as Sive and Deirdre and Maeve and any of the others and any of the members of the other members of the Tuatha Danann, including the Morrigan. And there hasn't been as much of that in the Mabinogion. I think, I suppose, because you have a much more masculine job title for lack of a better term at the centre of so much of the stories and that is of course knights this whole culture and these uh, the folklore of of the knight in shining armour the the one of the earliest you know stereotypes or stock characteristics of masculinity which has carried right through is it's a phrase we still use you know the knight in shining armour and we have the very much the the major popularity of of that here in the Middle Ages when these stories were first really compended together. And that's where you get jousting and wooing young maidens and this this bizarre preference on chastity, which is also quite a a big thing here. And with Geraint here, uh, this is the one where we have the title is of the husband and wife and that they share 
they share the name of the story and they are equal equal characters in it. It isn't dissimilar from the likes of, you know, The Pursuit of Dermot and Gráinne in theory, but then very different in practice. So let's just go through it. Well, first of all, we open with Geraint and Enid being summoned away so that Geraint can inherit his father's kingdom. And then they go out on this very Charles and Diana exploration of the kingdom. And they sit down and they meet with all the people and... Enid charms the locals and Geraint goes out and displays his, his bravado, jousting and entertaining. And then they fall even more and more in love with each other and love that, love all that aspect. And I think it's actually a really interesting story beat that uh, they are believed to be less good as rulers or less good as prospective rulers by the fact that they love each other so much and that they become distracted with their love and their intimacy with one another. Because I always think that that is the thing that happens with contemporary couples and where two people you know, get very excited about a new relationship and then they pour themselves into each other and it can become overly intense and then they find that they've alienated all of their friends and suddenly you find... I've I've had many friends who are couples who who have a few years down the line then suddenly had to make new friends and had struggled to make friends because they'd become so much of a unit with each other. So I really like that really resonates with me as a story beat of Geraint and Enid having fallen into each other and then suddenly having to prove that uh, they can care for their subjects as well. And of course and this is where the story becomes a bit more problematic, is the entire lame blame for this is laid at Enid's door. It is, that is, she is the wily woman. For the most part, there isn't as much magic in the Mabinogion as there is in Irish mythology, so there aren't as many actual, you know, witches and wizards and, and mages and sorceresses and the like, but still the women are 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 tarnished with this idea that they are temptresses and it is Enid and if it wasn't for her Geraint would be. So I tried to recontextualize it where it's the father who isn't really able to talk to his own son still the same result and my favorite image in this story is when they're lying in bed together and there's that beautiful description of him lying asleep and her lying on top of him and it being her tear falling onto his chest that wakes him up Something about that I find particularly strong and evocative and quite well captured for such an old for such an old story when details like that tend to not be what the focus is of as much. And that's what I mean where we start to really see the early literary tradition and what would end up becoming the novel and, and pro and modern prose you have in details like that captured as significant story beats rather than this big grand moment. It's something so nuanced and so subtle. So Geraint wakes up and he thinks he's been made a cook of and decides to kind of just take her out and just ride their anger off, you know, I guess just and just try and treat her badly for Madly's sake and she's constantly warning him about all of these nights and this becomes it's it's far it is to be fair far more Enid's story of her trying to prove herself wrong. It's like she's on trial, so she's the defense, and she is having to, through this bizarre kind of Stockholm syndrome, prove her loyalty to her husband that she is loyal to anyway, 
and she just has to hope that uh, Geraint realises this before both of them are dead. Thankfully, he does realise this, and there is that lovely moment, lovely is not (laughs) the right word, but that very powerful moment at the end where another Earl has said he's going to take Enid away, and Enid... In a in a very in a very strong moment, says that even though her husband is dead, that she won't do that. To which this earl reminds her of the time and place that it is by striking her across the face, and it's this this final stance from Enid where she says she will not marry another, even her husband is dead, and this man striking striking his wife that brings Geraint out of his madness, out of this this anxiety and this paranoia that his wife has been with another man, he's realised then I've been wrong all along. And was, and I <laughs> liked to put in the, the detail at the end that he will spend the rest of his life making up for this, as you would hope that he would for having treated his wife in such a way. But at least he made a good start by literally cutting the head off the man who laid a hand on her. And what better way could you have to wrap things up than with that? So that was the troubling, slightly problematic, but still very interesting and engaging, I think, story of Geraint and Ian. It's the second part of the stories of Geraint. We have but two stories left of the Mabinogion as we approach episodes 149 and 50. Next week, we will have the story of the dream of Ronaboy. And then finally, we will have uh, the story of how Kulch Mwood Alwyn And then there's very exciting things to come, dear listeners. There's going to be a very exciting announcement literally next week. Um, Or, no, it'll be, it'll have been by the time this episode comes out. So we'll be able to talk about it a lot more next week. But you will get the alert about it, dear listeners. Uh, I'll see you all, you'll hear me all next time. Please do follow me on Fireside, at FiresideBardich on Instagram. Email me at thefiresidebardichemail.com. Support heads the plus. The link is in the description below. Uh, your support is very greatly appreciated each and every month. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.